So when I was in college, I used to get all kinds of stupid jobs. And, and there was people who would, who would hire me to do stuff that just made no sense. And so one of the most ridiculous jobs I ever got, it was at this school. I can't tell you where. It's a school I graduated from. Um, and this school, they hired me for the summer to be a maintenance worker. And here's what you need to know about me. All right, at this time, I didn't even know how to swing a hammer. I didn't even know how like, to do my hair. I had no idea what it meant to fix anything. And so I basically spent the summer walking around my old high school breaking stuff. And just there was, hey, Angel, we need you to fix the plumbing. What the heck? What do I know about plumbing? All right, gunk, gunk, gunk. All right, hey, it's worse. We need to call the plumber. Like, like, it was just constantly destroying things. And from the very first week that I worked there, there was this lovely, super sweet, older woman. And probably, she might have been approaching her 80s. Like, she was in that range where you're kind of like, yo, should you still be working here? But... She was a teacher, she worked with children, she was a reading specialist, the most sweet woman. When she would speak to you, like, like you would feel just sweetness just land on you, be like, oh. Her name was Miss Laurel, sweetest woman. And so the first day I came on there, she used to came up to me, she, she had this, this little book, and she goes, Angel, because she knew me because I graduated, she's like, I just bought a desk. Could you build it for me? And I said, Miss Laurel, girl, I got you. Consider it done. And then later that day, I had some other stuff to do. Next day comes around. Oh, I forgot Miss Laurel's desk. Next day, two months later, Miss oh. <laughs> Laurel comes back up to me for maybe like a sixth time and saying, and same super sweetness, Angel, have you thought about the desk I need you to do? <laughs> they already blew up the other one. <laughs> My stuff's on the floor. No. Yeah, I'll take care of it. Two weeks later, we're approaching the beginning of school. And she comes up to me again, super sweet. By this point, you know she's not Latina, because her sweetness was still coming out, and she was not like, oye, oye, oye. It was super kind. Hey, I know you're busy. I hear you. I see what you're doing all over the place. You're always so sweaty, walking around. Psych. I was just, just a sweaty gorilla, gorilla. And so she says, Angel, could you please do it? Okay, yeah, I got you, I got you. Well, a week later, I got to it. And, uh, <laughs> and so I come in, and there's this box, and it was kind of like one of those typical Ikea boxes. And this is, this is how old I am. This is before Ikea was even here. Whoa, boy. And so it was this typical like, little box of building crap, and it has this, uh, <laughs> this thing on top of it. And, and I grab the manual, and I look at the manual, the picture of the desk, and this is exactly what I did. I don't need that. And I opened the box. And I said, let's get it, right? And I played some music, and I'm like, boom, boom, like working on the stupid desk. First thing I did with the desk, I took the top of the desk, I laid the top of it flat on the ground so that the four sections for the legs were sticking up. And I started building the other stuff, and then I grabbed the legs, and I went ahead, and I thought, you have to pop them in place. So I put the legs in, and I put my hips into it, and I popped that thing in place, and it was caca. And I thought, okay, that caca noise means it's never coming out. So then I did the same thing. Ha, ka, ka, right? Ha, ka, ka, right? Put all four legs ka, ka, in, right? And, and so, so we do all four legs like that, and finally I built the desk, and I call Miss Laurel. I'm like, Miss Laurel, come see your desk. And so she comes in, she brings some other teachers with her. They're super hyped, because like, they know this woman low key behind my back, they're like complaining constantly about her teacher friends. And so they come to see the desk, and I'm like, Miss Laurel, here it is, but I need you ladies all to give me a hand to lift it because I don't want to break it. And so we lift the desk. We lift it and say, okay, now, now flip the desk. 
All right, on three. One, two. Those caca, those caca moves of mine, busted four holes on the top of the desk. I had literally pushed the legs through the top of the desk, all the way through it, and they were just hanging out, and the desk began to do one of these. Sliding down on four legs, and I'm standing there like, oh! This is cheap one. Miss Laurel, where'd you get this? What? What? what, what, what who? Right? And I'm just trying to make all these excuses. And Miss Laurel finds this in the corner of the room, all crumpled and thrown and tirado and just mistreated. And on the bottom of the first page, it said, do not push in the legs. And she said, but, but Angel, said, don't push the legs. And I just stood there, con un pena, with all these teachers in the classroom. Yeah. It did say that. And I go, I hope you got the receipt. She's like, but it's been more than 90 days. I can't return it. I said, oh, okay, cool. I got you. Take out my check. Never saw her again. Um, but here's why I share that story. One, because I want you guys to never ask me to build you a task. And, uh, and this is actually a desk that my wife asked me to build, and I haven't gotten to it yet. This is the manual for it. Uh, I, I got it on Christmas. Oh, my gosh. What a bad guy. All right, but I got to get to it. It's on my dad. It's on my honey-to-do list. But whatever. So the reason why I bring this up is because there's a stupid, a very stupid thing that I did that majority of us here are guilty of. I was handed a manual. I was handed the instructions on how to do it and how to do it right. I was given the words that would have allowed me to make a desk that would have been pristine, beautiful, and useful. But because I took the manual and said, I don't need that thing, I ruined it. I broke it. Made it, if it was bad, I made it worse. Destruction came because I didn't listen to the manual. I didn't pay attention to it. And the reality is that that same idea is what we see here in Scripture. See, for most of you, the Bible that you are holding in your hands, yes, it is a love letter from God. It is God describing who he is telling us who he wants us to be, telling us of his love for us, and beautiful stories of who God is, is what you see in the scriptures, all pointing to the goodness of the gospel. But in his goodness and in his love for us, he takes some things and he puts it in bold. He takes some things and he underlines it and italicizes it and puts it all over to make sure that we don't bust those graves through the surface and ruin the kind of life that he's called us to live. And so, in that first passage that we read, you read it and you're like, oh yeah, man. Whoa. Jesus just said, what? Cut. Take my eye out. Cut my hand. And I'm in a warehouse. What? No. And there's cage stuff and basketball cages and all this craziness. And, um, and they've separated us. And, and I know when you read that, it can be so initially like shocking. And, but there's a reality to why it's so shocking. Let me reread it for you guys. This is Jesus speaking. This is the manual of God. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of, the mem- one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. You read that and you immediately think, yo, what kind of cult is this? <laughs> like, like, and yo, I got to get up out of here. Emergency exit. I get it. But what Jesus is telling us is, he is not telling us to remove, to remove limbs. He's not telling us to cut hands, to pluck out eyes. Because if he was telling us in this passage to do that, there would be examples of his teaching when he spoke to sexually immoral people, when he spoke to the prostitutes, when he spoke to the women who had multiple wives, when he spoke to the rich young rulers who were clearly living impure lives, when he spoke to people who weren't pure, his command would have been, go pluck out your eye, go cut your hand. So because that wasn't his command, we know that Jesus is not telling us, hey, cut your eye, pluck your eye out, cut your hand, if you've ever struggled with sexual sin. He's not saying that. What he is saying is this. You need to see how serious sin is. What Jesus is doing at this point, he is magnifying and highlighting and elevating the seriousness of sexual sin. He is taking serious sexual sin and saying, look, this is a big deal. I'm going to highlight it. I'm going to italicize it. I'm going to put it on the, right all over the manual so you see it and so you stay away from it. It's so big that if you commit it and you need to get away from it, man, it's better to lose your eyes than to be a slave to it. Man, it's better to lose your hand than to be a slave to it. Because the slavery that's found behind sexual sin leads to a whole world of brokenness. Just like that table. And so that's one of the things we're going to be discussing today. So here's how this conversation is going to go. Um, it's going to feel very fast. And for those of you who are taking notes, let's go. I'm putting everything on the screen so that way you can fly on it. We'll be going through a lot of verses. And the goal of our conversation today is so that you will understand what does the Bible say about sex. There's not going to be much application. There's not going to be like, okay, now go do this. There is going to be just a a wealth of information that's just going to land on you, and you have to do your best to catch it. All right? So, let's start unpacking what it is that the scriptures say about sex. And so, first things first, what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 to 20. And what I want you guys to thank you so much, George. George, it is page 955 in your Bibles. We won't put the verses up there, but we will definitely put the references up there. And after we spend some time looking at what the Bible says about sex, the interesting thing is we're going to spend some time and look at what, the, what science says about sex out of marriage, which is super, super fascinating and has caused much interesting conversation throughout this week. So we are first looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 to 20, page 9, 55. Yeah, yeah thank you. What we're going to see is in this passage is that sex is more than physical. And this is a very interesting concept because this concept alone was written thousands of years ago and it was written by people who had no concept of the kind of science that we have today. And we're going to see how this passage literally connects to modern science today. All right, so let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 to 20. Everybody look down and it's pretty, pretty strong. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make it members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, it's outside of the body. But sexual but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, when you read that passage, you're like, yo, bro, this is talking about prostitutes, bro. And what he was talking to in his day and age, he was speaking to a church, the Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were messing around with things that they shouldn't. And what Paul was communicating to them is a theology that helps us understand biblically what sex is. Because here's the truth. Sex is not wrong. Sex is not bad. Sex is beautiful. It's a gift that God created. No man is creative enough to think of that. No human is creative enough to assemble such a thing between two people. And God in his goodness created such a good and beautiful thing that majority of the conversations in scripture when it talks about sex, it's beautiful. The beginning of scripture lays out basically this moment between Adam and Eve when they're standing in front of each other. The first thing Adam says is, yo, girl. And he sings her a poem. Come on. He says, girl, man, oh my bone, flesh my flesh, girl. Right? And he raps to this girl. It's beautiful. And the scriptures talk about their intimacy and their love for each other. There's all these examples all throughout the Bible. There's actually more examples of sex being shown as a beautiful and awesome gift than there is verses of scripture that say, don't do it. Abstain from it. It's because God made it. It's a beautiful thing between a husband and wife. Two people who are committed for the rest of their lives together. We're going to discuss why towards the end of this. So what this, what's happening in this passage is the Apostle Paul is unpacking for us one of the big reasons why. Because it's two people becoming one. And we think that just means physically. But what Paul is saying, emotionally. We're going to be discussing that when we get to what the signs say about sex. So let's look at the next verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 6, page 978. Page 978, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 and 6. Page 978. And if you have someone who's near you with the Bible and you don't have one, read this one. It's pretty interesting. But sexual immorality and all impure Or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it is proper amongst the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may not be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, or or who covets, that that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Big words. But the big idea of that passage, as many things in there, that passage itself, there's multiple sermons that come from there. 
But what he's telling us is that, that impurity, being impure, it leads to distance from God. You know, I, 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 talk about, I talk about a lot with guys and girls, and I hear it all the time where after camp, it's like, yo, you guys, like teenagers, are like, yo, Jesus, right? Like, like, it's like, yo, I see him in them everywhere, right? And it's like, yo, I love Jesus, the Lord, right? Like, it's this hype, excitement, and joy, and you're like, I don't know what happened, but after camp, I loved him, and now I don't even know him. Right? And it's like this deep sorrow that takes place. That, and we call it the foolish, oh yeah, that's just a camp high wearing off. It's not. Here's what happens in camp. Majority of those of you who, who, who might struggle with pornography for that week, it becomes a lot harder to watch porn during camp. For those of you who struggle sleeping with somebody who you're not married with, during that week, it's not really happening. For an entire week, you're removed and battling the struggles of sexuality, battling the struggles of impurity becomes a lot more easier for that one week. And what takes place is there's almost like this clarity of thinking for that week. And whenever someone comes up to me, he's like, yo, I just, ever since camp, I just haven't been able to connect with the Lord. I always just ask, well, well, tell me how your porn life is. Have you been struggling with porn? What's it been like with your girlfriend or boyfriend? Are you sleeping around? Because the reality of Scripture is that sexual impurity leads to distance from God. It pulls you from Him. And I know some of you are wondering, man, I just haven't been feeling Him. I just haven't had that kind of connection that I once had. It hasn't been there. I don't know what it is. How's the struggle with porn going? How's the situation with your boyfriend or girlfriend going? Sexual impurity pulls you away. Let's look at the third verse. And this will be the final verse that we read. And this is, uh, this is strong. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 8, page 987. You know, you guys in your age, you are so obsessed with what's God's will for your life. Like you just want to know, does he want me to be an astronaut? Does he want me to be the next LeBron James? Angel, tell me. What's the will? What's the will? Right? We're about to read it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3. For this is the will of God. Let me reread that for you guys. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That every one of you know how to control his own body, body in holiness. And what's the last word? Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know him. Let me just stop there. What this passage just told us is that God's will for our life is purity. Sexual purity. He tells us to treat our bodies. What were those two words? Start with an H. As what? Holy. And what else? Honor. Honor. Ladies, do you honor your bodies? Is this something that you view as something that should be honored and valued? Or is it just treated like something that should be thrown around? Guys, do you view your body as something that should be treated as holy? 
If you're a Christian, you say that you are a temple of God. That's what the other passage just said. The scripture said, and why don't we just take a temple and just throw dirty things into it? Look, I, I know that the struggle is real, right? And I know, and there's a pun in there. Um, and I know that there's a, a reality that that's many of us here in this room either are struggling really heavy with porn or struggling sleeping with boyfriend or girlfriend or struggling with sleeping with people who aren't your boyfriend or girlfriend. I, I know that these struggles are so real and I know that the next section that we're about to jump into can literally crush you so bad that you never want to walk into a church. But please listen to what I'm about to say before we get into this next section. Who you are right now doesn't always have to be that. A porn addict doesn't always have to be a porn addict. A girl who throws herself around doesn't always have to be that. Who you were today, who you were yesterday, it does not always have to be. And God can rescue you. God can save you. God can pull you. God can transform you. And along the way, if there is another mistake, you need to understand that God still seeking to heal, seeking to save, seeking to rescue you. Here is why. Because he loves you. And he doesn't love you because you're perfect. He doesn't love you because some of you are a virgin. He doesn't love you because some of you may have lost your virginity and you're kind of like trying to. He doesn't love you because of your works. The passage that we read in 1 Corinthians talking to a group of people who were having sex with prostitutes. Few chapters after is filled with language about God's love for them. The actual passage that defines what love is is a few chapters after. Stop having sex with prostitutes, guys. Let me tell you how much he loves you. So please, don't make the mistake that I have made in my life to believe that God's love for me is a result of me. He loves you. Regardless of how clean you think you are, regardless of how dirty you think you are. Please, don't listen to this next section and believe a lie. He's not done with you. He's seeking to rescue you. So let's get to this next section. See, because whenever we come to this conversation of, man, why, why, why does God say stuff, man? What, what's up with commandments? Why is God saying to live sexually pure? Why is God saying that even if I take an image of her and lustfully put it into my heart at that point, it is just like if I did something physical. What is it with all these passages talking about that God's will for your life is sexual purity to teach you self-control, to, to teach you to look at your body as onerous and as holy? Why? There's a question that in my own personal life I constantly bring to the forefront of whenever I deal with anything. There's a question that I bring to your parents whenever we have trainings on this. There's a question I bring to you whenever we talk about this. What is God trying to save you from? The reason why I feel that question is so helpful when talking about this is because we can get so caught up thinking, man, God just doesn't want me to do this stuff. I don't like God. God just wants to kill the party. I don't like him. And we miss out on the biggest characteristic trait of who God is. God is a rescuer. And God 
and his rescuing ability and his deep love for people has created a manual to make sure that we build beautiful desks and beautiful lives. And God, as one who wants to save you, has said, listen, stay away from sexual morality. Stay away from sex out of marriage. Stay away from pornography. Stay away from those kind of things because we're about to talk about it. But how do we know that that's his character? How do we know that that's who he is? How do we know that when I say that, that this pastor's not just talking nice stuff to make you go ahead and feel nice and cute before we get to the strong part of this song? Look at the gospel. Everything. Everything from the book of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. The entire Bible, the entire thing that we're calling today a manual. All of this points to this moment that we celebrated this past weekend. That God saw your sin. God saw your brokenness. God saw my need for salvation. God saw all that. He saw the brokenness in our world. He saw the need for us to have forgiveness. He saw the need for life. He saw it. And instead of saying, hey, I'm going to give you guys a list of rules. If you follow these rules, you come to heaven. No. It's not what he did. Because he's a rescuer. How terrible would it be if someone is drowning and a rescue helicopter comes and the guy's, eh, eh, you love me, you love me, right? And the guy on top of the helicopter says, do the right thing and I'll get you, right? Do the right actions and I got you. Have you ever said a bad word? I'm about to say it right now, boy. Save me, right? That doesn't function that way as false religions might teach, as false doctrines might teach, but you need to earn your salvation. God does this. God sees you drowning, and on Friday, we celebrated Good Friday when God jumped out of the helicopter and dove in to rescue you. He embraces you and pulls you to a place of life. That's who he is. And now we're going to look at, if that's who he is, then his commandments are him trying to save us from something. So what is God trying to save us from? First section is going to be all Bible stuff. Second section is going to be science stuff. First thing is that we see that God's trying to save us from, one, devaluing the opposite spouse. I'm not going to read those passages up there. Write them down and read them later. Devaluing the opposite spouse. We're going to be discussing more of what takes place in the mind of someone when, when they're watching pornography, what takes mind in the, in the life of someone when their lifestyle is connected or even chained or enslaved to pornography, what takes place in time, what doesn't happen immediately, but over time, you begin to see the opposite sex and you take them down a notch. And you begin to devalue them. And this is one of the big things that's happening in science, that science is starting to catch this, and they're starting to make all these different arguments that we'll talk about towards the end a little bit more. But number one, you devalue, begin to devalue the opposite sex. Not even if it's just pornography, but if you live a lifestyle that every day you wake up, you think, oh, <laughs> who's going to be with me today? <laughs> I'm going to go to the movies, put this cologne on, <laughs> and find that lucky person. Right? Immediately, what you've done at that moment with that train of thinking that you come to a church and you sit there and you look around thinking, who am I going to be with today? That your whole mind, everything is saturated with the thought of devaluing the opposite sex. It's an obsession and you turn a beautiful gift into a God. Number two, devaluing your future spouse. What you don't realize is that 
I know it seems like forever. For some of you, it seems like, bro, I know for some of you, Endgame seems like it's never coming out, even though it's coming out tomorrow night. Woo! But it seems, oh, I know, I'm so excited. Like, I almost want to wrap this sermon up so I can go home and watch some more videos about it. But, here's it, I'm super geeking out about this thing. By the way, I had a dream last night. I was in Endgames. Uh, but, um, here's the thing. For you, imagining your life eight, seven, six years from now almost seems impossible. Like, you can't think past what's in front of you. Some of you are like, boy, a spouse? Boy, doesn't even a girl who likes me, man? I don't even have the opposite, anyone that's not my mom. The only girl on my phone is my mom. Like, and I get it. But statistically speaking, 78% of you will be married one day. Crazy, right? And some of you are like, hey, wait, 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 hold up, hold up, boy. Wait, I just did the math. Wait, hey, 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 wait. But think about it. There's a good chance that everyone in this room one day will be married. There's a good chance that right now there's a spouse for you somewhere else in this world looking at the same moon that you look at every night. Oh. Are you respecting that spouse now? Are you valuing that spouse now? One, there was a man I spoke to a few weeks ago who, man's approaching his 30s, getting really close to 30. He's sexually pure his whole life seeking to do it, seeking to, to be as pure as possible. He looked at me in the eyes as an angel. Every time I'm approaching a moment where I'm about to fall into sex and sexual sin, I just think about how bad I want to tell my wife, baby, I've been waiting for you my whole life. This whole side said, oh. This whole side said, oh, man. But that's why we separated things. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's beautiful about what he told me that day. He's thinking about his wife before he knows who she is. He's seeking to be controlled even before he knows who she is. Let's look at number three real fast. Practicing adultery that bleeds into the next one. See, what you don't realize is that right now at your age, whether it's a, a slavery to pornography, whether it's actual sex with someone who you're not married with, what you are actually doing is you're training your mind you are training yourself to be okay with multiple partners. You are training yourself to be okay with seeing multiple people in a very intimate way and just being okay with it. And just snip, snap, snip, move, move, next, all right, boom, 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 next. And then one day, as you are looking at your spouse, those images don't leave. One day, those experiences from the past don't leave. And what you've done is you created, you, you could have, I don't want to speak in the absolute, especially with this. But scientifically speaking, as we'll talk about later, you could be putting yourself in a predicament that subconsciously you have trained your mind to when I don't like this person anymore, I go over here now. And you'll hear as you continue to mature in life of different spouses, like, I don't know what happened, next thing I know, boom, I'm in an affair. Well, because subconsciously, throughout the course of their entire life, they never trained the muscle of sexual control. And therefore, they've just been a slave to it, and they never have control of it, so they practiced adultery their whole life. Are you practicing adultery? Or are you practicing faithfulness? Are you practicing self-control? Are you practicing seeing your body as holy? Are you practicing honoring yourself? Or are you practicing adultery? Let's look at number four. 
not growing spiritually. We hit on this, talking about the whole camp situation. Many of you are wondering, why am I not growing? Why am I not, why am I not experiencing more of God? God was so real in camp, and now he died. <laughs> it's not true. Part of you died. And God is seeking to rescue you. And God is seeking to pull you from that. Because he loves you so much. He's seeking to rescue some of you right now. Look at number five. Being hurt. See, when I, when I was in school, in my middle school, guys, my, my middle school, like we were jits with barely any armpit hair out. Like we had just grown leg hair. And I had a teacher say to me, here are some comments. And we were like, what? Bet, bet, bet up there. <laughs> Why did she just give us water balloons, man? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> what, what, was this a field day? What's happening? <laughs> and, um, you know, there's this, and we're going to discuss this also, as we, especially when we get into this book a little bit. Um, there's this belief that you can control all the effects of what takes place when sex out of marriage happens. When sex out of a lifelong committed relationship happens. But the truth is you can't. Because you can't put a condom on your heart. You can't protect your heart. Yeah, someone just wanted to say, oh, oh no. Uh, I can't, where's my phone so I can tweet that? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. But the truth is you can't. And I know so many of you deal with depression. I know many, so many of you deal with random outbursts of anger anxiety, and I'm not here to say that it is for sure a result of that. I know there is some medical situations where there is some brokenness that require medication and require serious help, but as we're about to talk about here in Hooked, in this book called Hooked, majority of teenage depression, a lot of times is a result of entering these massively, these committed moments while you're not in a committed relationship. And you've taught your mind, you've taught your heart to go open, close, open, close. You've opened your heart, closed it, and it's gone crushed. Okay, let's try again. Open, crushed, open, crushed. Over time, you're crushed. And Jesus, because he's so good and loves you, is seeking to rescue you from that. Because he's so good and he loves you, is seeking to grab your crushed little heart, to grab that little heart that was abused and mistreated and used and just treated like it was gross. He's seeking to go ahead and put it back together in a way that you can't even imagine because he is so good and he loves you. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. But look at number six. See, it's not even just you being hurt, it's you hurting someone else. See, because the reality is, I, I always hear this all the time, especially with teens and young adults, constantly, but, but I love him. But I love her. It's just so funny. Because <laughs> here's the truth. You don't know jack about love, kids. <laughs> you don't. Until you stand over a woman and she's giving birth to your child. And she looks like she just ran a marathon. And they bruised up on her while running. And you say, boy, I love this girl. You don't know it. <laughs> Until you experience waking up next to that woman and she goes, ah. And the breath, you see it coming out. And you go, ah. And you still say, baby, I love you, girl. You don't know love until you see it, man. 
until you smell those things, man. Until my wife comes in the room and she comes in, what's that smell? And I'm like, babe, the pipes are broken. We got to move. She knows what the truth is. But here's the reality. And, and when I was your age, I hated it. I hated it so much hearing this stuff. But at your age, you just can't comprehend love. And you think you can. And here's one of the reasons why you don't know love. Because many people at your age think that because they love each other, they should have sex with each other. And that is an indicator that you don't love the other person, that you love yourself. Because if you genuinely love the other person, you will seek to honor them. You will seek to treat them as pure. You will seek to guard their future. You will seek to guard their best interests. You will seek to do what is best for them and protect them from what we're talking about and what we're going to talk about. You will seek to say, no, baby girl. No, my man. I love you. We're not doing this. You will seek that because you love the person. But because you love yourself, you say, let's do it. Because I want to feel good. So you don't know love, and you need to stop acting like you do, because you're breaking the desk that God's calling you to build. But he is so good. Oh, he's so kind. He is so loving, and even though some of us baboons in this room, we've broken that desk like I did, God is in his great mercy seeking to flip that desk and say, no, 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 I know you pushed those legs through the, through the top, but I'm here to fix it like a miracle. And even though you've hurt so many people, even though you've put the trigger, the gun to, of the emotional pain into people's heart and shot them, even though there are girls right now who are cutting themselves because of what you have done to them, even though there are boys in massive depression because of what you have done to them, God in his goodness is saying, I'll rescue or redeem all that because I love you. This ain't no game. It's serious. And there's serious pain. Let's look at what science has to say. Um, because I think it's really interesting. Uh, so this is a really dope book that two, two students gave me. Uh, they've been going through it. Uh, one of the students is uh, she's going through a leadership in, uh, development program here. And it's this book called Swipe Right. That alone lets you know, man, whoever wrote this book, that boy's got social media. He knows what's going on, right? He's writing it today. And this whole book has language. It's very relevant for you teens. Swipe Right. Uh, the pastor's name is Levi Lesko. This whole entire book, this is a Christian book written by a Christian pastor who is talking about this sex issue, talking about this, addressing it, making it very clear, making it very helpful. But as helpful as this is, and I think it's extremely helpful to hear from other Christian pastors and to hear what other Bible people are saying, it's so fascinating to me, and I wish I had this when I was your age, to see what science is saying today. So look, we're going to talk about hooked real fast. i got to fly because I want to get you guys to your tribe time. Um, and does anybody have the actual time? Actual time. What? 8.37. I'm so sorry, tribe leaders. Here we go. So look, this book called Hook. This book is done all to you. This is from 2006. The data collect. Oh! Whoa! That's when I graduated high school. All right? Oh, six. What? what? All right, so look, here's the thing. This book... These two doctors, they gathered together for five years in 2006. So they started, what, 2001. And they gathered together and they started doing research all throughout America, gathering people, doing all these studies, doing all this stuff for five years. Trying to figure out one thing. What happens in the human brain during sex? And so they did all this research, all this studying, all this stuff, and figuring all this out. And let's look at some of their conclusions. Uh, so this is from the book Hooked. And you guys can buy it. It's on Amazon. Click to look here. Look inside. Um, and you can't buy it. I recommend you buy it because it is super fascinating. 
And so, look at this. This is speaking of people who, who live in lifestyles where they'll have sex with just any partner, right? Who live in lifestyles where they'll just sleep with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and then they break up in a few months, and, oh, okay, now he's talking to me again. I'll, I'll, I'll be with him, and I love, I love him. And so, boom, all right, so look. They do not realize that this pattern of having sex with one woman and then breaking up with them and then having sex with another woman limits them to the experience only one from experiencing only wait one form of brain activity co common to humans involved in sexuality the dopamine we all know what dopamine means the dopamine rush of sex the risk of damaging a vital intake ability to develop a long-term emotional attachment that results from sex with the same person over and over. The individual who goes from sexual partner to sexual partner is causing his or her brain to mold and gel so that it eventually begins to accept that this pattern of living is what is normal. What this scientist just said in all of their studying for over five years of working Putting this together, looking at different people, they're saying that people who come in and out of these kind of relationships, what they're doing is they're beginning to break the ability to care for someone long-term and be committed to one person. Look at this other interesting thing we talked about. In the study that was done in well, with well-controlled factors, sexual active teens, teen girls, were shown to be three times as likely to report that they are depressed most or all, wait, most of a lot of the time or a few times a week compared to girls who are absent. This is very interesting for you guys. Listen up, boys. Sexually active boys are more than twice as likely to report being depressed as those who are absent. Sexually active girls are three times as likely than non-sexually active girls to attempt suicide. While sexually active boys, listen to this, boys, look. Listen. Sexually active boys are seven times more likely to attempt suicide than boys who are abstaining from sex. Whenever I deal with a child, a teen who's committed suicide, which sadly has been too many times, whenever I talk to the parents, it always comes up some form of sexual issue that happened down the road that led to a snowball effect. So you got scientists saying, listen, you can't put a condom on your heart. You can't. There's emotional things, there's scientific things taking place, and you begin to open these things too prematurely with somebody who is not, you're not in a committed relationship with, you're breaking. You're breaking the table that God's calling you to build. But, it's so good. He's so kind that he would redeem you and love you in spite of it. So look, there's another book. I got this a few weeks ago. It's just been hammering through it, just eating it, just eating it up. And it's super interesting. It's called Primero Sex in America. And what these scientists, this is actually done a few years ago, what these scientists have been doing, this is from Oxford University. And this was actually, I first heard of this book reading a, reading a New York Times uh, magazine about it. And what they're arguing in this book is these two concepts. If you're taking notes, write them down. This concept of consumerism relationships and covenant relationships. And they're arguing these two different premises. And what they're talking about in this book is that they are noticing as they're studying more and more couples, as they're realizing more and more things, as they're looking at society for what it's become, these atheist scientists, they're not your abuela, they're not a pastor, they're scientists. What they are saying is 
that people who live together before they are married actually experience a higher percentage of divorce within four years of marriage. And they start explaining that the difference between consumer relationships and covenant relationships is this, that when you begin to welcome sex into your relationship, before there has been a concrete covenant made, a promise to be together forever, a marriage, a contract signed, girl, you my boo thing forever, boy, you my boo man forever, until that's taken place, what you've done is, I call my wife my boo thing, but, and it, and it was really, it's super cute and it's weird, I know, but, what you have in this consumer relationship is this interview relationship. And what they have in all these testimonials of people saying, I always just felt like I had to prove myself. I always just felt like I had to add up. I had to measure up. I was always interviewing for a job. Even though we were living together, even though we were in a sexual relationship, I was always trying to be something for that person. And the relationship became like your relationship with Walmart or your relationship with Target. Oh, I don't like this no more. Fix this. Where's the manager at? And the reason why they're saying that leads to much divorce and that leads to so much brokenness is because you're not built to be consumed on. You're not built for a consumer relationship. You're built for what they're talking about, a covenant. A relationship that has a promise that we'll be together forever. So that when you open yourself into that intimacy, when you allow for your emotions to fly into those places, when you allow for those experiences to take place that God gave as a gift, it's done with someone that you feel safe, someone you love, and someone you know they'll be there tomorrow. Completely different. So that's science. Interesting, right? Can you say, yeah, yeah, angel. All right, so here's the thing. It doesn't just end with sex out of marriage. And we'll close with this. There's, there's this whole movement that's been taking place. You guys may not notice it. It's actually really brand new. It's been popping up in the past five years where scientists and sociologists and, and people in politics, people overlooking cities, overlooking schools, overlooking now your generation. There are eyes all over your generation because your generation is the first generation that is so exposed. You are, as teenagers, the first human beings to be raised in such an exposed culture. Meaning, at any point on your phone, you can look and see something pornographic. You can look and have that moment in your mind of intimacy with a stranger immediately. And scientists and sociologists are looking at you guys and saying, what is going to become of this generation? So there's all these really interesting things popping up. So these are 35 articles that were written by non-Christians. Not one of these articles mentioned Jesus. Not one of them mentioned anything else other than science. Well, this is not all 35 of them. But let me just show you ones I pulled out real fast from my desk. Look at the topics of this. This is from a website called Fighting the New Drug. Pornography is actually considered the new drug of your culture. That is more lethal than the majority of drugs out there because of the effects it has on you are so addicting that it pulls you in just like any other drug in this planet. And it ties you in and it wraps you in and it causes things that you may not even realize now. And scientists are still in the process of learning how toxic and broken it does. There's an article written, you can Google it, How to Raise a Daughter in a Sexually, sexually Addicted Culture. And the article breaks down all the stuff that young women, your amazing generation, has to go through because of our culture that's so drowned in pornography. 
Look at some of these headlines from, from this website. Some of you guys, you need to look at this website. There's videos on it. There's documentaries on it. It breaks down. Fight the new drug. Look at some of these headlines from these articles. Does porn really, really decrease the rates of sexual abuse? Is porn addicting? How can porn become addictive? Here's a guide to being a bad lover because of porn. <laughs> How does porn change the brain? How does consuming porn lead to violence? How is porn... How is consuming porn escalating behavior? How, how porn leads to false sex trafficking, fuels sex trafficking? Look at this one. This is interesting. How can porn become addictive? This is an interesting one. How can porn become addictive to minors? Super interesting article. And then look at this one. How can porn affect the brain like drug? Why porn leaves consumers lonely? How porn hurts consumers and the partner? Why porn is full of lies? Why porn kills love? And could porn be helped by religious beliefs? Not one of these things written by a Christian. This is not a Christian belief anymore. This is just truth. Complete truth. So if you deny that porn, if you deny that sex out of marriage is wrong, you are standing against not just God, you're not standing against just all who believe the Bible. You're not just standing against your parents. You are standing against now science too. And your arguments of, ah, but, but, cool, bring it to them. And he's trying to rescue you. He's trying to free you. He's trying to give you a way out. He's saying, look, I know you want to go that way. Come this way instead. It's better for you. It's freeing for you. And I know it's so hard. Everything in me wishes we had time to go through. Like, here's some things you can do, but here's what I gotta say to you. There's a fire over there. Don't go over there. And now we've got through the steps of how not to get to that fire and run the opposite way. The interesting thing about looking at all the stuff that science, scientists are talking about and kind of like unveiling is that it's almost as like scientists and sociologists for years have been like hiking up this mountain. And they've been doing all this crazy stuff and sacrificing all these things and doing all this work for years on end to try and get to the top of this mountain and hiking and jumping over boulders and coming to the place of endless nights of sleep and just doing everything possible to come to a conclusion and get to the top of the mountain. And that whole time while they've been hiking, there has been a group of Christians out there saying, boy, God told us from the beginning, sex out of marriage is wrong. If you would have just read the Bible, you would have had a lot more time on your hands. You need to understand science is always catching up to the Bible. And so, with all of that being said, I will close with this. A reminder to what I've said at this point seven times. You are loved by God. If you have struggled with porn, if you have struggled with sex out of marriage, if any of these things have come up, he is not done with you. He is seeking to pull you and rescue you from this. Let him. Let him.